Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Van Staden from the Center for Chinese Studies at Stellenbosch University in lovely Cape Town, South Africa. How are you this afternoon, Kobus? I'm very good, and you? Wonderful. And we're also joined on the line by a special guest who we're just thrilled to have with us on the show today from、uh, what I presume to be rather chilly, or increasingly chilly, Ottawa, Canada. Victoria Shore, who is a China analyst there, and is going to be talking about、uh, a very interesting conference that she went to with none other than Mr. Africa himself, Zhong Jianhua. Victoria, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Indeed, it's nice to be here. Excellent. And you know, what's fun is that、uh, Victoria actually we found Victoria through our Facebook page, and we really want to issue a huge, huge welcome to about four thousand new fans who have recently joined the,、uh, the the community over at Facebook.com/slash China Africa Project. Victoria, you're a part of that community, and and thank you so much for all your comments and engagement and participation. And so. One of the things that we do on that page is we post kind of articles throughout the day, but we really want to try to get people to talk and discuss.、Uh, and this is really one of the things that Victoria does so well, but also to engage with us and kind of put your ideas out there. So don't just give us a like; we we like that you give us a like, but also give us、uh, some engagement and 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 discuss some of the key issues of the day. That's what we're really trying to do over there. Seventeen thousand strong, so a big welcome to to all of our fans on Facebook. Okay, as always, we've got. Three topics that we're going to discuss today. First, we're going to start off with this very interesting conference that came out of uh, Canada uh, at the University of Alberta with、uh, China, Africa, and Canada.、Uh, so we'll get、uh, Victoria's kind of take on that, and we'll also talk about the Canada-Africa relationship and how China fits in in that. Then we're going to talk about not a specific story. Usually, we talk about individual events that have occurred, but rather this week we're going to talk about two clusters of stories. Uh, one is in Tanzania. We're going to talk about the China-Africa-Tanzania relationship, and then also we're going to go all the way up to the west into、uh, to Ghana. And there are a number of different stories that kind of crossed, and we're going to kind of cluster those together and、uh, and start with、uh, with that. So, without further ado, we're going to kick it off with、uh, with Victoria to tell us a little bit about this、uh, this conference that took place. And if I'm correct, it was at the University of Alberta. And it, no, it, no, no, it was at IDRC, but University of Alberta helped host it. Got it. Thank you for the correction. So, <laughs> and so it was in Ottawa then, correct? Yes. Okay. So, so it was in Ottawa. And what's funny is that you don't automatically think of you know Canada is on the flight path in the geopolitical China Africa U.S. Europe axis, but somehow. Uh, they managed to persuade one of the world's busiest diplomats, Zhong Jianhua, who, of course, is China's lead diplomat in Africa, and also, you know, Ambassador David Shin, who's the who's at George Washington University, I think,、uh, and a number of other luminaries to come all the way up to what I presume is a rather chilly Ottawa, and to kind of talk about、uh, to talk about China-Africa relations. Now, what makes this very interesting, and this is the question that I want to put to Victoria, is in the context here. You know, Canada itself is really a superpower on the global stage when it comes to natural resources. So, did that factor into anything in terms of what this, this conference was about in terms of natural resources related to China and Africa? Tell us a little bit about the conference and what your impressions were. Sure.、Um, the conference made a, a specific effort for each panel to try and have at least one African and one Chinese voice, as well as Canadian voices on all of them. So, so that was pretty nice. You didn't just have a whole bunch of white people discussing things.、Um, Not like our podcast, unfortunately. 
I mean, let's kind of state the elephant in the room here, okay? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but mostly, uh, ironically enough, the issue of Canada was a bit of a back burner. It was more uh, China-Africa relations and a lot of education on that for, for the Canadian officials who were sitting in the audience. Um, however, there were a few panelists that were certainly speaking on, Af- on Canada, uh, one of them was speaking about uh, um, peacekeeping, for example. There was another one. There were several others that were talking about various other topics. Um, and overall, um, unfortunately, the main message was that Canada's brand is in trouble. And we used to be number one in mining. Now we're number five. But the one really plus side is that apparently, proportionally, um, Canadian operations in Africa hire the highest proportion of Africans on their products. So that was an interesting little factoid that I hadn't actually known. Well, let me ask you a quick question in terms of the perception. We talked about this on the show, I'd say about six months ago, when uh, there was a House committee in, in, in Washington that uh, held hearings on, Ch- on China-Africa. And one of the things that surprised me was the absurd level of knowledge that American legislators, or at least this committee, had with respect to the Chinese in Africa. I mean, it was pathetic. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. And I think that pretty much characterizes much of the State Department thinking on Africa and in Washington, that the United States is really still the dominant player and the European powers are still the dominant player. And there's this old kind of world thinking that still is there, and, and they really just don't get it. Um, in Ottawa, what is what is the level of awareness, and in, does that arrogance that you see in European and in Washington, European capitals and in Washington, also exist, in your opinion, when it comes to China-Africa? It does and it doesn't. Thankfully, I don't think we're to the same extent, um, but there are certainly several people of the old guard that that are still very determined on uh, Canada-U.S. relations, barring all other relations. Um, and, And the perception, at least, that I hear from many of my contacts is that many... In, uh, in Ottawa, the legislature, right, the ministers and the MPs, many of the MPs still have that perception. Many of the ministers seem to think that maybe their perception is wrong, but they can't quite get over the hang-ups, is what it sounds like. But certainly within foreign affairs, I, none of my contacts feel that way. They're all going on about how great opportunities are and that things are so different now. So at least that's refreshing. You know, Cobus, this this is interesting that a smaller power like Canada may actually look at this as a refreshing change to see that, you know, that in places like Africa where the big powers between the Europeans, the Americans, and the Chinese are kind of jostling. We've talked a lot also on the show about how, uh, you know, the presence of China gives a lot of African states choice and gives them more options. That it used to be that if you lived in the Ivory Coast, you had to basically kind of focus your attention towards Paris. And if you lived in Liberia, it was towards the United States. And if you lived in Angola, it was towards uh, Portugal. You know, just those legacy powers were there. And so in some ways, does this change in the geopolitical framework allow other countries like Canada to be able to to flex their wings a little bit more on the continent? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I'd also like to obviously ask for Victoria's opinion, but I, I was wondering whether... Part of this is because um, Canada is mostly interested in Africa in terms of um, in terms of development issues and then also resource issues. Um, and you know, so all of the, the Chinese engagement, all of the road building and internet installation and so on that's going on actually increases opportunities for Canadian companies as well. While the Americans worry about China might be more related to issues related to their focus on national security and obviously Europe's to you know to their kind of global 
colonial past and the kind of empire complexes that are still hanging around. Um, am I oversimplifying that, Victoria? I'm hoping I understood you correctly. Sorry, I had some crackling from you. Yeah, unfortunately, Cobus's connection is not great, but uh, we're, we're going to kind of stay with it just to kind of keep the show moving forward. But basically, uh, you know, Cobus was asking about, you know, in terms of Canada's, again, Canada's view towards the China-Africa relationship and, you know, because they don't have the burden of the great empire complex, you know, that does that kind of, you know, give them more of, uh, you know, give Canadian companies more flexibility in terms of operating on the continent? Well, it does. Um, one, one of the nice things, well, we have a bit of a, a history, or at least Canadians certainly feel so, uh, regarding aid and helping African countries, which then kind of died in the early 2000s. And now a lot of companies and a lot of other people are hoping that with this resurgence in business that we can promote Africa again. Um, and there's several companies that are actually doing a lot, of, a lot of consulting work. So while the Chinese may actually be building the project, um, the Canadians are the ones advising and designing it, and then they sell that to the governments, and then the governments hire whoever they want to do to actually build it, which usually is China because it's cheaper. Um, but there is certainly several niches that Canada tries to make for itself, um, especially in terms of trying to target specific countries, which is a huge debate here. Um, but part of the reason why we're trying to target smaller ones is so that we can get more bang in the countries that we're in because there's no way we can compete with U.S. or China for, for funds for the amount of money we can give countries. So. And, and another area that of, of Canadian-Chinese kind of interest is the fact that both Canada and the Chinese are very active in United Nations uh, multinational operations, military and otherwise. Uh, and that obviously is, a, is probably a big issue in Africa as well. So uh, let's move on to our second topic now and, and talk a little about, you know, three or four stories that crossed on Tanzania. Now, this is very interesting. Again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago that for some reason, I think it was Zimbabwe, there was just a flurry of stories that came out of Zimbabwe. And this past week, uh, it's Tanzania. So Kobus, let's hope that your connection is, you know, is strong enough. Um, but, you know, we, we saw stories on, you know, some some cultural exchanges that happened this week. Yeah, that's the, you know, the Xinhua propaganda, you know, the Chinese acrobats went there, blah, blah, blah. But in the context of, you know, five or six other stories, one has to think if there's not, you know, something bigger going on. Again, did the Chinese and the Tanzanians hire a PR agency that managed to get out a lot of great press? Is a lot going on right now. So, Kobus, walk us through a couple of the key events that happened in Tanzania with respect to to the Chinese this past week. Well, I think the main hook for all of this was um, <clears throat> a visit by, by President Jakaya Kikwete to Beijing. Um, and, you know, I think that becomes the, the, the kind of leader shaking hands moment, you know, kind of, I think unleashes a lot of coverage. Um, as, as we saw in Zimbabwe a while ago. Um, at the same time, um, there is, uh, you know, there's enhanced um, gas exploration um, in, 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 in Tanzania, um, and at the same time, like very large, large-scale internet um, infrastructure installation that's happening. Um, so there, there's a whole bunch of, of uh, kind of massive um, infrastructure, different kinds of infrastructure kind of investment going on uh, with, you know, featuring large um, Chinese conglomerates. Yeah, let's, okay, let's get back to the gas. I want to save that for the end of our discussion and in part, you know, bring Victoria in to kind of talk about this question of, 
you know, this invisible web revolution. This was a story by Joe Boyle that crossed on the BBC uh, from Dar es Salaam. And one of the, the kind of the facts that jumped off the page for me on this story was the fact that, you know, the Chinese are putting in $170 million to help build a fiber optic network in, uh, in Tanzania. Uh, and East Africa is being connected to a number of different fiber optic cables that will really bring a level of connectivity we haven't seen before. Uh, Chinese telecom companies, Chinese technology companies are very active across the continent. And, and now to see, you know, real money, hundreds of millions of dollars being put into to connect up. Uh, this, the reason I, I kind of want to bring this up is it really shatters in some ways the narrative of the, the Chinese being the neo-colonialist force in Africa. Um, I, again, as people, longtime listeners of the show know, I don't intend to defend the Chinese any more than anybody else. But if you were colonizing a place, this is not the kind of things that you do. And I'm wondering, from your vantage point in Ottawa, this idea when you look at stories like this and the question of that stereotype of, you know, China coming in to be purely a colonial power or the neo-colonial power, how do you respond to that? Well, actually, in the conference, there was one really, really interesting statement that I wrote down thinking of this podcast, um, which was that the, the Zambia mine shootings that you guys discussed a couple podcasts ago, um, they were portrayed in the media as somehow reflecting Chinese-African relations. But the shootings in Marikana in South Africa were not portrayed as somehow reflecting UK-African relations. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, right, that, that a shooting by a Chinese makes it sound like the whole state is trying to crush Whereas uh, an unfortunate incident um, from that happened happened to be on a UK mind is a South African issue. Well, that's okay. So let me just bring up that key point there, which is when there's something negative, the entire burden of the relationship seems to fall onto it and be boiled down to this is the embodiment of China-Africa relations as it relates to you know a shooting or a death or corruption or something else. But yet when mm -hmm. you talk about 170 million dollars uh, going into to connect the web in Tanzania that doesn't seem to get the same type of, of attention. Now, we know that good news and bad news obviously gets treated differently. But I see, you know, this, you know, this web revolution taking place that China is absolutely facilitating and central to. Uh, and yet that breaks that narrative of, of, of the colonial, uh, the, you know, the, the, the neo-colonial power. Right. And we heard absolutely nothing about this in Canada. Um, so, I mean, as, as you said, if it, if it bleeds, it leads, and this story doesn't bleed, so we don't hear about it. Yeah. Cobus, let's, uh, again, we're, we're kind of shying away from you today in this podcast a little bit because of your <laughs> connection, so I hope that, uh, that you, we can hear you. Uh, but when, let, talk to me about that narrative question, that when you see Tanzania in some ways is the, you know, the stories that we're going to talk about today, it has all of the issues that make up the complexity of the China-Africa relationship. Now it's got natural resources in the form of gas. It's got the issue of immigrant labor. It's got the issue of, you know, the presence of Chinese merchants. I think there was a statistic in one of the stories you sent around that, you know, eight, nine years ago, there was 300 Chinese merchants. Now there are 30,000. Uh, I mean, it, all, everything is in Tanzania and all of it seemed to come out into the pages this past week. Uh, why, why do you think Tanzania has become such a focal point? Well, I think you know, one of the reasons is that Tanzania is, is you know, one of the, the real kind of uh, shining lights in, in African economics at the moment. Which, you know, it has a, a very high growth rate, a 6.9 rate in the second quarter in 2012. Um, and that's, you know, not... not 
Angola style on the on the back of one of one single commodity. You know, because it's it's a kind of quite a, a uh, you know widespread kind of complicated economy that that's growing in, in lots of different sectors. Um, and you know, at the same time, they're incredibly kind of connected to China. You know, so I think you know in that sense it makes them emblematic of of East Africa as a whole. You know, kind of because I think they're echoing Kenya in that way, and also what we're seeing in you know in the hub in in West Africa as well, like Ghana. Yeah, and and one of the other interesting trends, and this does not get any coverage at all. Uh, is you know some of the Chinese companies CSR activities that's the corporate social responsibility. Now uh, there's some folks who were telling me in Paris about how in Mali we're starting to see some really impressive CSR activities from the Chinese. You know, and this is something that's happening way under the radar. It's not being done for public consumption. Uh, and this is also something that's happening in Tanzania. So one example was uh, the China Communications Construction Company, which is one of the massive infrastructure, the state-owned infrastructure companies. Uh, you know, they uh, they have 100, they employ 180 Chinese workers and over 3,200 Tanzanians. Um, this is something that is, uh, that is, again, that goes against the stereotypes of the fact that the Chinese are, are flying in all their own workers. Uh, you, you know, and again, this is one of those the, those just things that you know, Victoria, that will not go away. Now, I don't know if this is just one example, if this is the exception, or if this is actually, in fact, part of a broader trend that the Chinese are, in fact, starting to understand the importance of hiring local labor. Uh, was that something the the labor issue? Was that something that came up at the conference? It was, and a Chinese official. I'm not allowed to say who, um, but I can't confirm who it was. Uh, they, they were saying, actually, that business is still quite immature, but they're learning quickly, right? So some of the CSR is still very immature in that they're building a school when maybe the town didn't even need a school. But they're learning very, very quickly that this matters and it's important. And the Chinese government is in for the long haul. So they don't, they don't want a bad perception because that will kill their long-term chances. Yeah, and that's, that's an interesting point, in part because the Chinese do have a very different time horizon uh, with respect to their investments than many Westerners do. Um, Cobus, one, one issue that was also brought up in some of the readings that you sent around this week in preparation for the show was the cultural aspect and how uh, local Chinese business people are trying to kind of assimilate new arrivals to not antagonize and not quite be, well, you know, so Chinese, that is, improve their driving, put on their shirts, kind of <laughs> learn the language, you know, be, understand kind of the standards of the local community and, and that human aspect of it. Uh, how important do you think that is in terms of this, of, of the assimilation of the two? I think it's very interesting, you know, kind of they, um, the, they started a Chinese business like Chamber of Commerce um, in, in Tanzania, um, and part of the work of that Chamber of Commerce is to, to train Chinese business people to do, to do uh, business in Tanzania. And um, one of the things that's mentioned in this, this article that was run on China.org was that, um, you know, there's all kinds of like little bits of politeness that they're teaching the people, including the one guy who was walking around without a shirt and then this another person from the same of commerce told him to put on a shirt because that isn't how, how you walk around in Tanzania, which was very funny for me. Um, I actually want to ask, um, to bring to bring it to a wider like, cultural issue. Um, Victoria, um, in... Um, is the president of the of Tanzania was, after he visited China, he went on to Canada, 
Um, and in Canada, he uh, he was asked by a Canadian at a, at a press conference with the Canadian Prime Minister. Prime Minister, he was asked by a Canadian um, journalist why Tanzania is taking investments from China um, while China has a bad human rights record. And then he kind of went off on them slightly um, and said that you know um, that he found the question uh, very hypocritical and that Western countries are also to, you know kind of getting massive loans from China and that Western countries also obviously don't have such a fantastic human rights record in Africa generally. Um, did that play in the Canadian press that, that made, a, made a kind of an, an impression? And do you feel that is, is that is those are those questions uh, reflective of, a, of a, this, the kind of dominant attitude towards China-Africa relations? Um, I unfortunately the article that you're talking about I wasn't able to open um, when you sent it to me, and I haven't seen oh. it on the Canadian press. What I have seen was actually the Prime Minister's website, Stephen Harper's website, um, talking about it more than anything else. Um, and he was talking mostly about oh the the, the recent um, foreign investment promotion and protection agreement, which is essentially a free trade agreement between Canada and Tanzania. The China issue was not brought up. What is being brought up? For, for China in Canada is that CNUC is trying to buy Nexen, and there's a lot of coverage over that in Canada, and a lot of people getting very uh, paranoid and scared and worried about um, how this firm will be run and whether or not Canadians will still be employed and all of the issues that we're seeing playing out in Africa, um, playing out in the West Coast. Now, you know, okay, so you, you brought up the issue of CNUC, so that kind of transi- transitions us nicely into... Um, what might, in fact, be the ultimate agenda for the Chinese in Tanzania, and that, of course, is oil or gas, for them to be more specific. You know, Tanzania had never been known, and that East Africa coast has never been known as a center for oil and gas up until this year, if I if I'm correct, uh, when a huge deposits were found, and all of a sudden now. Um, and, you know, all of this attention is being shifted out of Sudan and it's being shifted out of Libya, the more unstable places in the north. Uh, and they look at Tanzania and they look at Ghana, which we'll get to very shortly, and they see stable governments. They don't see the ethnic divisions that rile Nigeria. And they look at maybe this is the opportunity for us. So while I said that all the key issues uh, are present in Tanzania, natural resources are there as well. Now, so Cobus. Um, you know, let let me put my cynical hat on and say that all of this that we're seeing for the cultural exchanges, the telecoms infrastructure, um, really is, in fact, a if it's not neo-colonial, because you know I hate that word, but it is a mercantilist play to be able to ingratiate the Chinese into the good graces of the Tanzanians in order to secure those uh, those preferential access to that gas. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that's true. That's it. I don't really 100% see such a major problem with it as long as the Tanzanians get to obviously make the decisions about their resources that they want to. You know, kind of whether the Chinese are doing that or whether the Britain, the you know, the British or the Americans are doing it, that's pretty much what you're going to have to do. You know, kind of what the, the issue is is what what Tanzania gets out of it, except you know, kind of in addition to the the kind of gas profits. Well, listen, I mean, on that basis, on that standard. Uh, you know, this has been the problem in Africa that it's been the resource curse and so few people of, you know, the people benefit from the natural resources. So I'm call me skeptical that the uh, 
that the Tanzanians will benefit any more than, than, than anyone else in Africa has, you know, with the possible exception of Ghana. And that is our transition into our, our final topic today. Uh, again, a cluster of stories coming out of Ghana. You know, and what's interesting is the fact that, you know, the late President John Adam Mills was a huge supporter of developing ties with Ghana. Uh, with I'm um, sorry, with China, and you know, at the end of the show, this is what starts to happen. Um, and uh, and then now, what we're seeing in the past, at least in the past week or two, are a number of of, of problems that are coming up, and and you know, reports of corruption and reports of you know, sweetheart deals with the Chinese. Uh, Kobus, tell us what you you know. Two of the biggest ones: one is in, in, involves LPG, liquefied petroleum gas, and the other involves our good friend Huawei. Yes, the LPG one um, is allegations that Sinopec, um, which is obviously a massive Chinese company, um, overcharged uh, Ghana by um, forty million dollars in um, if in in its uh, designs for uh, you know kind of a gas liquefaction plant um, that is supposed to be running um, massive electrification uh, you know operations in, in Ghana as well. Um, now, this is a quite a complicated story because it has basically three sides. It has Sinopec subsidiary in, in Ghana. Um, then it has um, Ghana Gas, which is a, you know, a, a state-affiliated company, and then a Canadian company um, called Thermo Design Engineering, who designed the plant. And there's, there's now allegations that uh, there's been all kinds of overcharging built into uh, the procurement process, and that also that the, the plant that's been designed isn't going to be as um, as productive as as the, they'd hoped. So the plant is going to be more expensive and less productive. Um, the second, the Huawei story is um, allegations that Huawei got a kind of a sweet tax deal. Um, in the form of that a whole bunch of, of its of its investment um, in, in Ghana was not funded through tax waivers. Um, that one seems to me less a bit less of a scandal because those deals have been made already and the people that are complaining about it now seem to be mostly um, you know kind of minority party uh, op, you know opposition uh, politicians um, and the you know kind of complaining about the structuring of the deal with, with the Chinese Exxon Bank. You know, I mean, tax deals like this are actually very, very common, and not only in, in Ghana, but also, you know, in, in most countries, where if you want to get a piece of infrastructure installed, there is, there is you know, tax breaks that are given. So that by itself isn't shocking. You know, I wonder what people in Beijing must be thinking, because you, one of the major events of the year before President Mills passed away was the, uh, the passage by the Ghanaian uh, legislature of, to accept a billion dollars in Chinese loans and preferential loans. And so when you kind of see these uproars over 40 million, even $120 million, I wonder if there's this sense of like, say what, you know, we're giving you all of this money and you're giving us grief over, you know, 3%, 4% of this. So, so I wonder if, if politics kind of is factoring into this because we are in a political season in Ghana. And, and, and so that, that was just my, my cursory uh, kind of thought. When you see these deals like this, uh, Victoria, uh, and you see the problems that arise in this. Does this seem natural to you, or the same? Do you think there's something special about the fact that these are Chinese and they're new players, and that the you know that this is something that's different than what's happened in the past? Well, it's hard for me to determine because it's kind of the same issue of well, if it's China, we hear about it. Um, but there, certainly in Ghana, um, 
because I lived there for almost a year, there were several debates at the time, because this was several years ago, um, about the U.K. possibly getting all of these beneficial tax breaks and uh, actual Ghanaians being upset about this. So I'm not sure that in Ghana it's seen necessarily as a Chinese issue. It's hard for me to tell because that's certainly what the media is saying. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure about how much other countries get uh, in terms of tax breaks for things. Canada certainly gives tax breaks depending on what we're trying to attract. Um, but the, the title of the article, China Cheat in Gas Project, it is very provocative. That is very provocative. Yes, yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. And that, that, again, is this... this you know what I would say: this Western bias that assumes the worst out of the Chinese. And again, I don't want to come off sounding like a shill or an apologist for the Chinese, but I resent the the lack of perspective. And again, you, you know, we've talked about this in the context of Howard French and whatnot, who I may have unfairly criticized. Uh, I'm gonna, I might backtrack some of my Howard French criticism, uh, Cobus. Uh, but nonetheless, <laughs> the idea that there is always this negative perception, this negative filter that things are. Uh, that are that have filtered through that have gone through but i want to talk about another issue with you victoria particularly kind of leveraging your experience in ghana um and we talked about this with kabwena who is one of our, our our very kind of regular listeners and also regular contributors to the show about the importance of these kind of small gold mines and in the mining sector in ghana and how the, the chinese have kind of moved their way into this not in the big state-owned industry way but these immigrants who come to ghana and engage in illegal mining, uh, and their presence in Africa, in, in Ghana, is illegal. And uh, this past week, Ghana did something which no other country to, to, uh, that I know of um, has done, short of Angola, with, with you know, deporting criminals, but they deported 38 citizens for illegal gold mining. Um, this seems to be a very political issue in Ghana. So what's the importance in your mind, and why did they go after this this particular group of Chinese, when in fact there's probably lots of Chinese who are violating immigration rules and whatnot, but why gold mining in your opinion? I, I think this is mostly an election issue because actually Tanzania, uh, not Tanzania, uh, Ghana um, also kicked out a whole bunch of Nigerians recently um, for for breaking rules about whether or not they were allowed to work and where. So I'm, I'm thinking it's that immigration is just becoming an issue for politics right now and that they might just take whatever group they think happens to be politic at that moment. And uh, this is an issue, Cobus, that we've been talking about across the continent, which is this growing pressure on Chinese merchants uh, and, 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 you know, where they come into contact with, uh, with local merchants. Um, and one of the reasons that the Ghanaian, that the, the government in Accra said they deported the, the 38 was because they had no residence or work permit. And by that standard, you would think that, you know, of the million Chinese that live in Africa, some 50 percent, and I'm making up the number, uh, but a huge portion of that, of that population is subject to a similar type of uh, of enforcement of immigration and work permits uh, on not only in Ghana but elsewhere in Africa. Is this a, a possible precedent-setting uh, move that other countries could look to and say, well, listen, the Ghanaians got away with it and didn't get their asses kicked by Beijing. Why don't we try it? Actually, yeah, I can I mean, one Go oh, ahead, yeah. Go ahead, Victoria. Um, it, it, well, it's similar for this because, because Ghana also has a number of Ivoirian refugees right now. And I don't hear any of this talk about that, uh, kicking the Ivoirians out, where I'm sure because they're refugees, they didn't get paperwork either. Kobus, is there a double standard on the Chinese? Yeah, I'm sure there is. 
you know, kind of the, you know, kind of the, you know, just to bring it back to the to the coverage of the, uh, you know, of the Sinopec deal is, um, you know, kind of the the idea that China is cheating Ghana, you know, kind of that that headline that came out of the Ghanaian press, you know, not not necessarily the international press. So I think, um, yeah, I think there probably would be a double standard, you know, kind of maybe playing both ways because obviously. Ghana has a lot riding on, on West African integration, so it might it might kind of make sense for them to to let the Ivorians you know kind of slide to a certain extent and not kind of inflame you know kind of West African you know kind of regional kind of resentments while at the same time going after the Chinese because the Chinese make a, a popular target might very well be that way. Okay, well let's end this segment on on a positive note actually. And uh, in the past two weeks, uh, Africa's newest airline launched out of Ghana, uh, Africa World Airways. It's a partnership with Hunan. I think it's Hunan or Hainan. Um, Hainan. 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 That's right. With Hainan Airways, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, really, uh, you know, a new airline. And and this is something that's actually very important for intra-African travel. And and again, this was uh, this has been a, a, a chronic problem because Africa is home to. Some world, some of the world's most dangerous airlines, and particularly on domestic routes, uh, and so Africa World Airlines is a joint venture and and tapping funds from the China Africa Development Fund. So, uh, in this is, again is is what we see as the promise. We talked a little about in Tanzania the building of telecommunications infrastructure. Now we're seeing the emergence of a of more transportation. Uh, and particularly related to tourism and to business travel. So what's the significance, uh, Victoria, of why they picked the Chinese? You think they picked Ghana, of all places, to kind of, you know, partner to build an airline like this. Why Ghana, do you think? I, I don't know. I'm not very good on the, the, the Chinese side, since my focus is mostly on the, the African side. Um, probably it's simply because Ghana is a very easy, good bet when it comes to Africa. I mean, you know it's going to be stable, you know that they've had growth, you know that they have a market and a significant middle class that's coming up. And I can certainly attest that flights between Accra, Tamale, Takaradi, and Kumasi were very, very rare, and it's nice to see more of it. I wouldn't be surprised if it's also simply the MPs going, I'd like to go out to my district in uh, Bulgatanga, and I can't make it up there without spending a day and a half to get there. Well, hey, listen, that's why uh, Beijing and Shanghai had the best train route in all of China for, for many years, because just the, the powerful people wanted to get back and forth. So that by itself is a good reason. Uh, Kobus, let's let's end this segment on, on, on just kind of following up on Victoria's point here about, you know, Ghana, the appeal for, for the Chinese because of Ghana's stability and the market that's there. And, and, and I'm starting to kind of get a sense that there might be a flight to stability. So Tanzania, South Africa, uh, you know, Ghana, you know, even Angola to some extent, and when the Chinese experiment with kind of in putting their money all across the continent might be coming to an end because of the high risk that they face in places like Egypt, Libya, and, and Sudan, for example. Yeah, and I think that also they're, they're investing in the idea that that if you invest in stability in one part of an integrated region, some of the other parts of the integrated region might follow. Um, you know, so it seems that that seems to be underlying some of the logic in East Africa and also in West Africa, because of course, um, you know, this this airline is going to at the moment they're flying within Ghana, but they soon will be, um, you know, kind of also connecting to Lagos, to Ouagadougou, and to Abidjan. Um, so you know, originally. You know, kind of if you were if you were uh, you know a Nigerian business person, you wanted to go to to Ghana, you might have you were forced to go via Europe. 
Um, now, you know, kind of if it's easier to do it, then that might it might grow business business ties and then business ties to demand more stability. So, you know, maybe they you know the, their long game is that um, these kind of nodes of stability will will end up you know kind of stabilizing whole subregions. Okay, well, Africa World Airline is the name of the airline, and so will be something to keep an eye on. Uh, one of the things that they really want to differentiate and distinguish themselves by is their safety record, and they say they're going to invest a lot in maintenance and safety, which again is something that is desperately, desperately needed in domestic and internal flights on the African continent. So so let's keep an eye on that. Uh, so that'll and do I it. Wouldn't, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Nope. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, China is thinking what Kobus was saying um, about encouraging stability, because with their investments in Mali, actually Akim, which is al-Qaeda in Islamic Maghreb, has made statements against China because of the way Chinese Muslims are treated. Well, so that's been I a long... Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Al-Qaeda has long had objections to how uh, Chinese, the Uyghurs, are being treated, and so so it's not mm. surprising that AQIM uh, is picking up on that broader kind of, uh, you know, meme, uh, you know, being anti-Chinese, and the fact that the Chinese are now coming very, very close to AQIM's territories. Uh, so that would be well, that would be that's going to be a very interesting thing to follow. Uh, so listen, it's uh, it's been a fantastic half hour, forty five minutes with you, Victoria. Thank you so much for joining us. If uh, do you have a Twitter account or any social media kind of presence that people can follow if they're interested in kind of staying on top of what you're thinking? I'm not on Twitter. What I recommend is my um, Facebook blog, where I'm posting a lot of news, alternative news, not necessarily BBC or CNN. Um, a lot of alternative news sources on my blog, so they can just subscribe to my page. Great. It's What's your page? Victoria Shore, Africa. Victoria Shore, and how do you spell uh, Shore? S-C-H-O-R-R. Excellent. And you're following... Kind of weird, I know. That's okay. And you want to make sure everybody gets it. And also, you can follow Victoria. She's quite active on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. We really... You know, appreciate all of our new fans, and we really want to hope the, that we can get a discussion going. And Victoria is one of the folks who's there. Uh, Kobus, if people want to follow you on the social webs, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Stadenesque, that's S T A D E N E S Q U E, and I'm also on our Facebook page. Okay, and uh, you can follow me. I'm at uh, E O Lander, that's E O L A N D E R. I'm tweeting on China and Africa almost every day, about uh, 8 to 10 of the top stories, so you can kind of use it as something of a newswire. And, of course, you can follow the podcast uh, on iTunes, where we're just so grateful that we've gotten quite a bit of positive feedback on the show. Uh, You don't have to write positive things, although we enjoy it. Uh, But we do encourage you to, to leave some feedback to rate us, because that helps us gain some visibility in the iTunes universe, so we can kind of move up in their search rankings. Also, you can listen on Facebook. Uh, There's a little orange button there where you can listen to the past 25 episodes of the show. So if you've missed a show, it's right there for you. And also we're on Stitcher. So uh, we'll be back again next Sunday with another edition of the China Africa podcast. Until then, we'll talk to you soon.